Welcome to the Industria podcast. Industria is the study association for industrial engineering students at the Eindhoven University of Technology. During this podcast, we will invite inspiring people with background in industrial engineering, more specifically a background in industrial engineering in Eindhoven. Together, we cover interesting and relevant topics and provide you with all kinds of knowledge and insights within the field of industrial engineering. We are Geerten Kenneth and we will be hosting this podcast. Today's guest is Baptiste Koopmans. He recently finished his eight-year period as the chairman of the supervisory board at the TOE. Besides his work for the TOE, he has had an imposing career with impressive positions including CEO of Ziggo, UPC, Unilever Mexico and CCO of KPN. His career activities have taken him all around the world, but today he made time for us to ask him all that we want. Um, thank you very much for being our guest today. We usually start these podcasts with um, going back in time and asking about our guest's time as a student. Um, so let's start there. How do you look back on your period as a student? It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Well, I had a great time in Eindhoven. Uh, I arrived uh, some 37 years ago at the age of 18 in Eindhoven and I found my first place to live at the other side of the Evoluon. So the Evoluon was my uh, place to look at for five years. Um, and I started industrial engineering then at the pavilion, the, uh, uh, the low building at the end of the campus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a great uh, four and a half years there. Uh, I learned a lot, was part of the university council, uh, did a lot of activities, and uh, I really grew as a person over there. You did also a lot of activities for Industria, or? No, I was a part of the University Council. Uh, uh, I was a member of Industria, so I know what you guys did, and that <laughs> did in <laughs> those days. Uh, but I've never been active for Industria. Okay. But you do think um, those extracurricular activities um, are important to do as a student? Yeah, and I, I think it's very important that you become a rounded person and that you try to be part of society in multiple layers. And those students who outside their study either are active in a industrial kind of society or in a club or in politics or in whatever, it makes you a more rounded person and gives you experiences that makes it easier to start your career after the university. So I applaud those, uh, all these initiatives. And I did a lot of them myself as well, 35 years ago. And, and, and do you also think that, um, because you said that you, you were in the Educational Council, right? Yeah, um, so, so the uni University Council. Eh? You have yeah, University that, Council. Yeah. Do you think that, because I think that's also kind of a, kind of a board or uh, um, um, the experience that you had there, um, was it a good experience for, for your later career? My point is, it's not mutual exclusive. It's not that one experience is better than the other experience. I just say to all students, also my own children, try to be as active as possible and try to open your windows, try to open your eyes, mm -hmm. try to see more of the world than just as you study. So you can make good choices. So it's it's not only having the experience of organizing something or the experience of having accountability or the experience to speak in public or the experience to run a budget. I, I get that. 
but also to learn more than just your study and to make good choices. And that's something I took with me all my career and my life is to free up time to be active mm -hmm. on multiple fronts. Uh, if you look at successful CEOs or successful managers, they all have these extracurricular activities during their whole life. They are always do things outside their jobs, outside their private lives. And it's not only because they're hyperactive, especially because they use that as an impulse to learn more. And that continuously learning comes from having multiple activities and multiple networks and multiple imp impulses. So you would say to, to, to become successful, or if I stated it in, in that way, you have to be eager to to be open and to learn from all. Yeah, we will later talk about the industrial engineering, but I think one of the beauties of this study is that you learn to think outside in, that you learn to think from the market backwards. But the same counts for your personal life. You only learn if you go out there, listen to people, study, meet people are part of different activities um, and i can tell you if you continue that during your life you can ride waves and you see trends and you see new things um, and i think starting already at the university of multitasking multiple activities your your studies uh, your clubs your social activities your podcast what you do makes you a more rounded person and it educate you to continue to do that during your life yeah, yeah. um we will get back to your time as a at the um later but was this already also the reason you um became a part of the supervisory board because you wanted to learn more and have a broader so sometimes some things in life are planned and sometimes uh, things in life happen because you are at the right place at the right time and because I've always been very active outside my professional career, knowing people, uh, doing things without being paid for it, just on a voluntary basis. Um, I think uh, 10 years ago, I ran into the government and they said, we're looking for, for someone who would like to become a supervisory board member of the Eindhoven University. Is this something for you? So if you would ask me 35 years ago, would I have love to be the chairman of the Eindhoven University Supervisory Board, I would have said yes. But in the end, I became it just by accident because I, my network, mm. I was at the right time somewhere, and then I fulfilled uh, the criteria. So the learning is also, if in a career you want something, you need to be active and visible because otherwise people don't notice you. Uh, and I was noticed. I think there are other people who could also qualify for that job, but if you sit and stick in your own room watching television, no one is going to consider you. But, but being active and visible, how, how, how do you do that? Just by going out there and, and talk to people and... No, I, I, think, I think the world is about substance. So you don't go out there and advertise yourself. You don't go out there and wine and dine, have drinks. I think the learning is, you become visible by doing things. So by going to be active for Industria, by becoming the chairman of the field hockey club, by doing something for a good cause, by joining a fraternity. So by, by so you do things and by doing things, you become visible. It's not you're visible just for being visible. 
Uh, and if you do that, that will work for half a year, but over time people will see you're a person without substance. Right. Um, I want to go back uh, to your uh, to your career because um, I th I think it's fair to say that you have quite some uh, some interesting uh, functions and an impressive career. Um, for more than twenty years, you have almost uh, only had functions as board members at big companies uh, all over the world. Uh, would you have expected as a student that 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 would be your future, that that would be your career? Yes and no. So yes, I've always had the ambition to become a leader and to take jobs with bigger accountability. Uh, so that was my aim already at the high school. I made deliberate choices to take on responsibility and to lead companies or in initiatives or investments. On the other hand, uh, I do what I love to do and I do what I like to do. So I'm totally enjoying my professional career. So although I've made deliberate choices to get where I am, I also have looked back at 35 years of just totally enjoying jobs. And part of them I just got because I was there or I was the right person yeah. at the right time to solve a problem. Yeah. Uh, so it's a bit of both. All right. And you say about that responsibility that you that you like to have that responsibility. What is what is it that you most like about having that responsibility? I think you want progress. I think um, uh, we as, as human beings, we want to leave the world behind better than we found it. So if we look back at our lives, we would like to say, okay, I was here and when I left, it was better than I found it. So when I see a company or when I see a department or when I see a product, I think, what can I with a team of people initiate or do to make this company better or what can I do to help these people to be more healthy or more successful and, and that gives a thrill so doing it together with other people having a clear direction what you're going to do but then actually achieving is like sports uh, it's like that adrenaline of the success of sports why do you play football why do you want to win a match and it's the same yeah. with my first professional career and why do I want to play football? Why do I want to play a match? Why do I want to run a company? Why do I want to gain market share? Why do I want to launch a new product? Why do I want my young people around me to become more successful? Because it gives me pride, gives me self-esteem, gives me good uh, good feeling during the day. Um, so it's it's the achiever element in people. You've always been ambitious like this. Yeah, but not in a negative sense, because it's mm. it's ambitious with other people. If you run companies, so I I, I, uh, I uh, was CEO of some uh, Unilever companies. I was on the board of KPN. I uh, ran Ziggo in the Netherlands. Those are all companies with 5,000 people employees. Uh, you don't do it alone. As a CEO or as a chief commercial officer, you are the one who tries to create a purpose with the people. You try to create a direction of the company with the people. You try to create an environment where people can innovate, be successful, deliver services to consumers. Uh, and then together you're successful. Uh, and you learn over time that being the smart guy doesn't get you there. It's the guy who creates the environment that the others can thrive. Uh, and that's what I like. And then I go home sometimes in silence at night and I'm just happy with the effect we together created. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of students are 
Um, well, most of them are ambitious, some, some are less ambitious, but um, a lot of students are seeing this, um, this great image of a CEO and think, oh, I, want, I want to be a CEO, but um, I don't really think there's a concrete way to get there. Uh, how did you get from being a student to a CDO? So I, I listen. Um, I don't think there is one path to get to something. No, I think it's mm -hmm. about substance. Uh, becoming CEO because you want to be a CEO is not the purpose. The purpose is I know something about this industry, and in this industry, I'm able to innovate. I'm able to lead people. I'm a, I'm understanding the value creation model, and I can strategize this forward. So. Uh, and then let's not forget ambition also goes with hard work because everyone talks about ambitions and being smart uh, but there are two elements that ne people never talk about indeed in the early years it's really hard work to master an industry you don't become the boss of a company without understanding all elements of it you need to understand the full value creation model you need to understand almost all the partners, you need to be deep in the technology, you need to understand the customers and the outside domain. So in order to grow to a role like that, you need to grow in your career, you need to have had multiple functions. Uh, so it's hard work as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's one. The second thing is what we call is likability. To become the boss is not because you are a boss. To become the boss because people want to work with you. So someone needs to decide that he wants to work with you. People are individual human beings and have the full freedom to choose where they are. So people choose to work with me as a CEO because they like to work with my company or for me. So if that likability element is not there, you're not the right boss. And that comes because people see in your eyes that you truly mean well for them, for the company and for the future. I think that's a very important thing. And the people deciding who becomes the CEO, so supervisory boards or shareholders, they're looking for persons to lead their assets, their companies, that understand the industry, have a view on the future, but that are leaders of people. And the people want to work for trusted people. So before we go into this element that a CEO is a certain trajectory, don't underestimate the people and the leadership element of it. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, I, and I and I hear you say that um, um, that you have uh, that you have to understand all the departments and the technologies and and and, and, and that kind of things. But you that you have worked in in two very different industries. I think uh, the fast moving goods uh, industry uh, and the and the telecom industry. Um, how can you how could you make that switch? That was that was one of the most risky decisions in my life. So, uh, so you guys are students uh, in digital engineering, uh, bedrijfskunde. Mm -hmm. So you learn to look at uh, total systems. You learn to look at end-to-end P&Ls. You learn to uh, look at integrated ways of running companies. But you also learn that every industry has a different value creation model. The airline industry is something totally different from a retailer something totally different from a telecoms company or a fast moving consumer goods company. The end customers are different. The end to end systems are different. The capital intensity is different. The skill sets of the people are different. So don't underestimate that if you want to become a leader in an industry, 
it's almost impossible to become a leader in a totally new industry. Um, industry expertise is very important. Uh, so after 18 years in fast moving consumer goods, I shifted to the telecoms industry. Um, and of course, fast moving consumer goods learns you a lot about branding, products, innovations, channels, distribution, advertising, um, logistics. But those elements are totally different in a technology-led services industry like telecoms. Um, and still, I did make that decision to shift industry for a few reasons. One is, I think technology is the future. So for me, this was the moment to shift to an industry where I thought that innovation would be bigger. Secondly, I thought that I would grow as a person and I could contribute something in that industry. I thought my earning capability and my long-term viability as a leader would continue longer in this industry than in the fast-moving industry. And finally, this was a bigger industry in Western Europe and I wanted to become a European citizen again. I was too much an expat. And after being an expat, I was looking for an industry that would give me a home back in Northwestern Europe or in, uh, in the Netherlands. And that worked out well. Yeah, Having so said that, my first year was very difficult. So shifting from one to another industry was very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a little background, you went from um, CEO Unilever Mexico to KPM in, in yeah, Europe. Yeah, so I, went, I was the boss of uh, Unilever Mexico, which was a fast-moving consumer good company selling ice creams detergents, margarines, shampoos, branded goods with my own factories, 5,000 people, to a uh, local KPN telecoms company also with thousands of people selling telephony lines, internet connections, uh, television uh, subscriptions, B2B contracts and uh, cloud-based products to uh, 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 industry partners. So a totally different domain. Yeah. Um but you said that it was, it's almost impossible to go to a, a different branch and become the leader. I'm not then. saying it's impossible. I say it's a risk. I say mm. it's, it's a risk. It's a bold move. Industry. It's a bold move. It's a bold move. And uh, how, what was the key to, because you succeeded and you worked I think the, 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 key, the, the, the key is that you acknowledge the fact that you go and live in a new industry and you start from scratch. So mm. you start asking questions on all elements. What are the customers? What is their demands? How do they pay us? What are the service expectations? What is our innovations chain? What is our product delivery chain? How do we create our services? How does our P&L work? Where are our investments? So you take nothing for granted. It's almost like being an industrial engineer and dissecting the industry. And then you see where you can add value from previous experience. But you don't start with your old frame of mind and say, oh, I know this from the past because you don't know this from the past. If you do that, uh, and, and that's what I'm advocating to everyone in a career, continuously have that curiosity to understand what happens in an industry. And that's why I think industrial engineering is a great, great study to start. If you really grasp what industrial engineering is about, it's about understanding the total end-to-end -end system and getting a feel of how this works. What does it mean for a customer? And how do you backwards engineer a system that creates money and also services that people want to pay for? Um, and that multidisciplinary look of dissecting the system is something I learned in industrial engineering. Is 
would you say that that asking questions uh, would be one of the most important things as 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 industrial engineers, but also as what, what you've done as a CEO? Uh, yeah, I think that I think there's an old Chinese saying that listening is more important than talking. The Chinese already mm. say no. So uh, speaking is silver, listening is gold. No. Yeah. I think um, as a CEO, you don't need to have all the answers. As a CEO, you need to be aware of all the developments around you. You need to be aware where your customer is going. You need to be aware where the society is going, what the technology trends are. And you need to create an ecosystem that continuously learns from it, adapts to it. And for that, as a CEO, you need to have a basic curiosity to understand what happens as well with your people. That means asking basic questions is one of the biggest virtue. And of course, you need to be able to articulate a vision and articulate a strategy and motivate your people. But before mm -hmm. that, you need first need to understand in depth what's happening around you. And for that, asking questions is the main thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we're 30 years, you say 30 years after your studies, right? Something like I'm that. I'm 55, yeah. 31 years ago, I uh, graduated. Like that's a, that's a big period you've done a lot in that yeah, you guys you um, guys made me feel old this invite made me feel old. <laughs> you you were talking not... about eindhoven i thought that i i graduated 15 or 20 years ago but actually it <laughs> appears to be 31 years ago <laughs> sorry for that <laughs> yeah, that's it's a real thing time sometimes i also feel like i just started as a student but i'm already like fourth year but yeah, what i want to ask was um You've worked at Liberty Global, uh, Unilever, KPN. Um, that's this big range of companies. Um, how do you look back at like having all those different experiences and what did you enjoy the most? I feel very privileged. So uh, if you look at my resume, I was a marketeer. I was a sales director. I ran uh, an ice cream company, uh, a fast-moving consumer goods company in Mexico. I was on the board of KPN. I helped to delist Ziggo and make it a private company and make it a national company. I lived a while in Switzerland to run a company. So I, I feel very privileged of all the things I was able to do. Um, so what's the question? Yeah, what did you, what of all those experiences did you enjoy the most? Like, um, okay. and what did you learn of the most maybe? Yeah, so, so if you look at the variety of things, I never look back in what I joined, learned the most. I'm in the moment. And mm -hmm. in that sense, I don't know even that I'm 55 now. I'm just looking at how can I be serving a company or create new value today. So if I look back, I, it's not that I compare things, not at all. Uh, what, I, what I would like, what I'm very happy for is that on the one hand, I was loyal. I only had three employers. So 18 years with Unilever, six years with KPN, now nine years with Liberty Global, that I found the balance of longevity, so long sets of people working together, and in the meantime, diversity of different roles. What I hope for a lot of you is that if you be create a career for yourself, that on the one hand, you have all these different impulses, new jobs, new innovations, new ventures, so you don't break up your network or resume too much so that you also find two or three networks to work with 
Uh, and I had the luck of working for three companies, but in those three companies, I had a lot of diversity and also become a specialist in my field. Um, what I, I, I thoroughly like the most is at the moment that we really could make breakthrough for customers. So launching new products. I was at the, uh, at the launch of total new shampoo products in the Netherlands 25 years ago. <laughs> I uh, launched internet uh, on high speeds for KPN. Uh, I merged two companies and brought uh, two companies together under one brand name Ziggo. Um, so it's those. What I enjoy the most is that after hard work, the strategy plays out. So after two, three years, that innovation of that shampoo worked out. After two, three years, uh, that merger of Ziggo started to work out. That's what I like the most. When a plan comes together. And, and we talked about it oh, um, a few minutes ago uh, about the responsibility and that you like responsibility. And of course, a lot of responsibility um, comes with such strategy decisions eh? like uh, merging uh, UPC and Ziggo. Um, is it also sometimes too much for you, the responsibility, or that you do not know how to cope with it? Yeah, I, I listen. They, they sometimes say it's lonely at the top. So if you create these plans, everyone is there. So at the moment you have the plan to merge two companies, at the moment you want to launch a new product, everyone is there. And then as a team, you continue to start. But at the moment, the plan is not executed the way you want it. And you have a setback. Your sales are not coming in, or your customers are unhappy, or you lose, lose critical people or you're tens of millions short on your budget. Um, if you are ambitious, then it can get to you. And it, so I can I can recall a few moments in my career where I really thought it's not coming together. Uh, and then I was too late to ask for help. Uh, so it's easy to ask for help when you build a plan together. At the moment, things don't go the way you want. Then the real strong people go out there and seek for help. Uh, and I had a few times that I was too late in doing that. So, and it's also an advice for you guys. So at the moment you feel things are not going the way you want it in your career or in your project or in your, try to think who has done this before, who can help me and start asking for help. So be, uh, be clear again on your objectives and say people who can help me to get to my objectives or to our objectives. And, and do you think you were too late because um, you were afraid to ask help because you had maybe the feeling that that you did not a good job and that no, you I think to... I think it's I think in your career in your career if you look at a 35 year career there are phases no so in the first five or ten years you really learn a certain discipline a company a market you make some first steps then there is the phase where you are the super manager and you run entities or companies. And then there's the more liberated part of the career, my part, where you oversee it more. In that middle part of the career, the super manager, you're so ambitious that you almost personalize yourself with your targets. So if it's great success, you think you're the success. If it's a failure, it gets to you as well. And you see it sometimes with sportsmen as well. And if you have seen that all at my age, 55, you can you can somehow make yourself a little bit more aside of what's happening and look look at it a little bit with distance, create more teams. And in that middle part of my career, I struggled with the fact of 
how do I disconnect the result from myself? Did my best. I tried to engage my people, but in the end, it didn't work out. It's, is it fully my fault? And so I had, I had I, between 40 and 45, I have to say, sometimes it got to me. Mm. Of course it does. But then, but then back to back to your earlier question. <laughs> people now, people that have a broad set of activities, sports, hobbies, uh, extracurricular activities, also have more to fall back on when things go wrong or don't go as well as you want to. So my thesis is: the broader you create your network, the broader you create your set of activities, you're also more. Um, strong when things go wrong or less good in one of those areas yeah that makes sense yeah yeah i want to move on to the um to your time as a super uh, chairman of the supervisory board because you already talked a little bit about your reasoning um why you became um the chairman um i want to ask you how did you experience um how your corporate life reflects in your work for the theory and um is it similar like work for theory well, uh, and corporate so, life, or is it very different? So I think if you lead an organization, it's always about the same things. Get the right people around you. Create mm -hmm. a clarity of purpose, something like a direction. And then building capability or building innovations or doing things, making choices, those three things. So if you from a corporate life where you have led companies go into university, you see the breadth of intelligent people, you see all these uh, departments, all these systems, all these institutes, and it's like beautiful. But in a company, the structure is top down, it's a pyramid. And while creating a purpose, while selecting people, at least it's clear who's the boss. So you mm. do it together, but in the end, there's someone who in the hierarchy is clearly accountable. In the university, it's the other way around. It's the pyramid upside down. So you have these thousands of smart people, professors, institute leaders, breakthrough innovations. And the people that are supporting that, the board or the deans, they are there to make the people successful. That makes it very difficult to come to holistic decision making. So who decides about what people? Who decides about what direction, what purpose? Who builds capability and who makes strategic choices? And I found that very difficult in a university. So on the one hand, in a company, you do it together, but it's clear who takes the decisions. In a university, there's a lot of capability. The changing course or doing things together is very difficult. Yeah. And if I look back at Eindhoven 10 years ago, it was a university full of capability, full of innovations. And in the end, it made itself small by not going for bigger things. It made itself mm -hmm. small by all going for your own interest. And if you look at the university now, eight, 10 years later, I have to say I'm very proud that I was part of a team that made the Eindhoven University bigger. So collectively, we invested in a great campus. Collectively, we invested in this bachelor college. Collectively, we invested in the Artificial Intelligence Institute. So collectively, we made some choices. And the TUA as a total institute 
became a little bit more important by working together and by attracting great leaders. I think the current leadership of the university is stronger than it was 10 years ago. Um, and I really look back at the fact that the Eindhoven University now is part of the Brainport. And also on the list of Dutch University is much higher ranked than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, something that uh, we, you and we all could be proud of, the, of the Eindhoven yeah. University. Um, I, I read uh, in an interview with, uh, with the cursor um, that you say that you believe uh, that in the near future uh, choices have to be made in a division of, of, uh, of budget. Um, so that budget should not be divided equally um, over the departments, but should be, be divided into the importance of topics or re of research topics. Um, so what do you think would be most important research topics for the TUE? The, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm an outsider, so I'm not formally able to judge. But the only thing I can say is that at the bachelor level, Eindhoven University needs to give a broad bachelor so that all Dutch students, especially coming from the south, can do basic technology studies. So the bachelors need to be broad bachelors from industrial engineering to mathematics to physics to building construction, whatever. At the master and the PhD level, you are competing at an international level and an international scale. You cannot be top of the notch in all areas. There's not enough money. So at the bachelor degrees, you just need to make sure you create the best T-shaped engineer and you give the best education and basic research so that people get the basic bachelor. But especially at master and PhD level, we need to make choices. And I think the university already did great by going for those societal challenges. Mm -hmm. Sustainability, energy, health. So those are already directions where you can somehow focus your efforts a little bit of. But don't forget, in the future, you're competing with all European universities uh, for money from the EU, for smart people. Uh, and you're just a small university, so you need to. And that's why I'm a big fan of this artificial intelligence institute, because at least it's a choice. It's a choice to make one thing big and with that one thing really go somewhere. Um, I think it's the same with uh, this whole mobility and everything that uh, the people around the mobility and the system stand for. Um, and it's, it's part of being in-depth thought leader, and it's also something to position yourself in the world eh, to give yourself a position but more yeah. concretely we we just say um like you really have to focus on some master programs and others might have to go or do you mean like within master programs you have to be much more specific um as to no, what you're I, I, educating i think you need to benchmark everything you do against world class and say is this really world class mm -hmm. and if not and if it's subscale then it's not bad that people that want to do a certain PhD or a certain master do that at, at another university. And because one of the things you have to watch out as Eindhoven, you are a small city, you are a small university. It doesn't mean you need to raise small students. So if you want to become big global citizens, the world is bigger than Brabant, the world is bigger than Eindhoven. So it could be that a certain master or a certain system or a certain innovation 
you go to Cologne or you go to Brussels or you go to Delft or you go to Norway. So please think bigger. And, and the, the only risk Eindhoven University faces and also the students is that you become too provincial. So you better make sure yeah. you continue to play the highest level your sports, at the highest level your uh, your game, at the highest level your content. Yeah. If you Google the Eindhoven University in Brazil, the first thing that comes up is Stella, the electrical car. <laughs> so that thing is an important thing to position yourself uh, as a university. It's important. You need to be able to, in a few areas, be so good that you attract best people and that create an ecosystem that makes itself better. Mm, okay. Yeah. And we are, of course, industrial engineers. Do you think that industrial engineering plays an, an a role here? I think I have to say industrial engineering per se is a great study to do. So I would compliment you all for your choice and the people that study this. It's it's a great study. It's a great study. It makes you a rounded person. It makes you look at the world in systems. It makes you look at the world a little bit analytical, but still end to end and oversee everything. I would say, though, to all of you, do two things. Is at your master level, make sure you really go for one in-depth expertise. So with the base of a industrial engineering, become a great marketeer. Or with the base of industrial engineering, become a great operational researcher. Or with the base of industrial engineering, become a great in ergonomics. So choose one real in-depth skill. Right. Because in order to start your career, don't be too broad. So you have the capability to think broad, but the base of your career needs to have a base in finance, in marketing, in technology, in IT, in database management. So make sure that there's one field that you really master. My second advice is make sure you really understand technology. Learn coding, learn to understand what digitalization means for the future. Because I'm afraid that an industrial engineer that does not have a specialism, nor understands in depth what technology and digitalization will do, becomes a little bit too soft and over time will have difficulty to make a career. Right. If you do those things well, and I, that's what I did. I'm, I, uh, I specialize in operations research. I use that to make a start and I've always been learning in technology. I know what AI, digitalization, online world, cloud-based world is meaning for my industry. That made me always relevant in whatever general management position. Yeah, I think that's yeah. something industrial engineers sometimes suffer from. Um, the whole reason I, for example, chose industrial engineering was because of this broad. Um, how do you think, um, if you have like broad interests, how do you think you should specialize? How do you choose a topic in which you master? So, so this, go, this goes back to opening up your eyes. So if you started as an industrial engineer at the age of 18, then between the start and the end of your bachelor, the first three, four years, make sure you visit companies, make sure you read a lot, make sure you go out there to do things like you do to see other people. And then an interest emerges because I advise you to do a more specialized master. So a master in marketing and then over time to become the best marketeer. 
A master in sales to become the best sales guy. A master in data management to become the best data engineer. Because although companies are looking for people with broad capabilities and with the theme of being able to be agile and adaptable, people are also looking for skill base. You start in a job. And um, I would urge you all that although you don't know it when you're 18, you use your period at the university to feel a little bit what you like more. Are you more in marketing? Are you more in operational research? Are you more in logistics? And then that that affinity that you deepen that in a master. Well, yeah. that's, that's great advice. <laughs> I think we uh, had to, to know this uh, three years ago, and then. Uh... <laughs> no, but if you look at if you look at your careers, eh, guys, you're all mm. 24, 25. Not yet. It's very no, but at the at the end of your oh, at yeah, the end yeah. of your at the end of your master, you're 24, 25. Uh, then you have the first seven years of career are between 25 and 32. There are two things you're going to learn in those seven years. You're going to be a in an industry, so you're going to choose an industry. Are mm -hmm. you going in airlines? Are you going in healthcare? Are you going in data technology? Are you going into so you, there's an industry? The second thing, there is an expertise area. You'll probably start in finance, or you start in marketing, or you start in consulting. And then you're 32, and then you have on your resume a master, an expertise field. And an industry expertise. And if you look at my career, my career was based on marketing sales and fast-moving consumer goods. That was the part of my career. And then you build on that over time. So it's important that you understand a little bit what you don't have to choose industry yet. It's important that you start a little bit to understand what is the field of expertise you're building. And because no one becomes a CEO of a general manager out of nothing. So also mm -hmm. my, my first 15 years were those of a marketing sales guy. Someone else's career are in innovations or in technology. Someone else's career is in logistics. Mm -hmm. So um, it's important that you start to see a little bit these broad strokes. Um, and for that, I go back to the opening of my interview. Open your eyes. Go mm -hmm. out there. See companies. See yeah. people. Talk to people, and if it's your grandfather, if it's your family, if it's your neighbor, if it's other students, educate yourself about what's out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But um, what you say, because what you also see at the same time currently is that many people uh, will, after they have, have done their studies, uh, they will work at a company for two, three years, and then move on to uh, gain some other experience at another company in another. Uh, in another um, other field of uh, interest, and then work there for two or three years, and then move on, etc., etc. I'm 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 very much afraid. I'm very although people tell that that is a good way of making a career. I'm a little bit afraid of broken careers. So even if you change uh -huh. every two or three years, make sure that there's some consistency. And and one of the one of the questions I've learned to ask myself is. Don't think in 35 years, but think in seven to eight years. So where do you want to be in seven to eight years? And what one or two steps are logical to go there? Yeah. So if at the age of 32, you would like to be the logistical manager of a big car company, 
what are the first two steps that are logical to get you to that logistical role? You may not get there, but at least it's logical. And, and the more opportunistic left, right, left, right may end up that you don't know any, everything about data, you don't know everything about logistics, you don't know half of IT, and then you're 32, and you have all these things 50%. But at the age of 32, no one is looking for someone that knows everything 50%. So some logical flow I would advocate for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then people say, yeah, but I want to become an entrepreneur and I want to build my own company and I want to do my own innovations. The people that were highly successful of my group that became multimillionaires with their companies all started from a base. They were the great marketeer who built a product. They were the great technology leader who built a platform. They were the great innovator that built an innovation. So I would advocate that even those who at the age of 32, 35 started their own companies, had a more logical buildup of the first two or three jobs. Yeah. I, yeah. I have a more practical question, actually. Um, I wanted to ask it earlier, but um, talking about time management, you do this supervisory board next to a function of a CEO. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah. The beauty of being the general manager or the uh, CEO is that no one knows what your agenda is about. Mm -hmm. So people think that I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I run a company, I have seven, eight direct reports. I have a commercial boss, uh, a finance boss, an IT guy, an HR. So I have all these functions around me. I have some agile teams who do multidisciplinary work. I have my shareholders. And if I talk to everyone more than twice a week, they get fed up with me, you know? So people want freedom to work. So people that work for me have freedom to work. So I talk to them twice a week, once in a meeting and once in a phone call. So I would advocate that I have half my time free to do other things. So what do I do in that half hour? I'm visiting customers. I'm educating myself. I'm flying around the world to see technology and new innovations. But they also have time to do these kind of things. So if you see these celebrity CEOs of ASML or Philips or other companies, you see them all speaking, you see them all in the newspapers, you see them all walking around. They have the time to do that because they have a whole system. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and of course, if there's a financial crisis, or if there is Corona, or if the stock markets fall down, or if an innovation fails, there are 110% in the company. But in a normal running rate, it's their obligation to be outside connected. So uh, secondly, we guys who do those jobs are all 45 and above. So our children are left homes or on their own. So the evening hours, we can spend time to do this as well. The third thing is we like to do it because it gives us new information. So my eight years at the university on the supervisory board have given me more education than ever. I know now what the latest technologies are. I know now what direction innovation goes. I know what the new the terrains of developments are. I know what happens at other universities. And I bring that back to my company as a learning. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I think um, um, we have, uh, have had a great conversation uh, with each other. 
um, and and you've also given a lot of advices throughout the throughout the podcast. But I want to ask you one more question, uh, if that's okay with uh, Geert. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, because if you look at your career, what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Uh, and maybe it's something you've already said, but what is your most important lesson learned, uh, which you also would uh, give as a takeaway message to uh, to the students who listen, or other people who listen, of course. It's all about people. So when you are making a career, make sure you position yourself around people that can help you, that can educate you, that you can learn from. When you become a boss, make sure that you hire people that are better than you. And you fire the people that don't deliver. So be able to say to some people go, so you create the best team around you. When you're older like me, you are trying to create networks with younger people that can educate you about what happens in the future. Like uh, So people management, people skills, asking for help, talking with people, listen to customers. That's all it's about. That's all it's yeah. about. Uh, so my biggest lesson is when things went wrong, when innovations failed or my product launches failed, in the end, it was the team that didn't deliver. It was an individual that made a mistake. And I knew it up front. I should have changed that person earlier, but I didn't. At the moment, I was in crisis myself and I couldn't get out of the problem. I look back, I should have earlier asked for help. So you guys were asking me advice for your career. Ask advice. So it's all about the people around you. That's my advice on, the, on all fronts. Yeah, I think uh, that's a fantastic advice to uh, to end this podcast with. Uh, thank you for this great podcast. I think we've learned a lot. We have heard a lot of uh, interesting uh, things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank, thank you, you for being much. yeah. So thank you for being our guest today, uh, Mr. Kobans. Thank you, guys. <clears throat>